This is the Guy Divide, where we uncover real-life communication challenges men face in the modern world and equip you with tools to bridge that gap, one conversation at a time. Hello and welcome to The Guy Divide. I'm Kelly Whitaker. I'm a communication coach. And I'm Najali Khan. I'm a therapist. And today we're going to be talking about attachment styles. Now, attachment styles is starting to become something that we're all familiar with. If you're on Instagram or TikTok, there's a lot of therapists and wellness people talking about attachment styles. Uh, It's secretly my hope that attachment styles become pop and normal in the way that say something like introvert and extrovert used to be solely in the realm of psychology and now we all talk about it openly i think there's a lot to be gained from knowing what your attachment style is amazing and i fully agree and hypothetically if you were to have a co-host of a podcast who maybe didn't know much about attachment styles and what they were and what they meant how would you describe them to to this uh hypothetical co-host Sure. I think the easiest metaphor is attachment styles are kind of like our blueprint for love. Uh, They are foundational. They're etched really early from our uh, early caregivers. And they'll predict pretty much how we will uh, connect in all of our intimate partnerships and most of our friendships. Anytime we're really attached to somebody, this blueprint will be how we navigate those attachments. I want to I want to clarify before you move on. You you said that it's a blueprint for love, but then you also said it's for kind of kind of most intimate connections. Is it more so for romantic relationships, or or to what degree do these impact all relationships that people people have? Yeah, I think that's hard to say specifically, but uh, a good a good general rule is the more attached to someone, the closer I am to you, the more my attachment stuff will come up. That makes sense. That makes sense. The closer you get, the more the bullshit will creep in. It's insidious. Yeah, it's and and as we move on, you know, that's the perfect reason for why we need to know it, address it, understand it, uh, and maybe work through it because it's going to be very hard to get close to somebody and not have this stuff come up. Or have somebody get close to you. Have somebody get close to you. And you deserve to have somebody get close to you. Thank you. I think you do too. Oh, you Thank weren't talking you. to me, were you? You meant like it was. It was kind <laughs> of the royal you, but also you specifically. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so you know, let's jump in uh, to the different types because you know, do do you Kelly know about the different types of attachment styles? A medium amount. Okay. All right. Any questions before we launch into the different types? Anything you want to know specifically? I want to understand the differences of the four. I want to understand where I land. I want to understand where you land. And I also want to like scope out and like get the tea on these different types so that then I can go through my previous relationships and dynamics and and, uh, posthumously diagnose it. So let's go. So let's start with the... um with the one that we'd all like to be, but a lot of us are not. It's secure. Now, secure attachment means that both of my parents, or at least one good one, was uh, securely attached to me and me to them, um, meaning that they showed up. They were consistent. Uh, The love that they showed me and the care that they showed me was consistent. And so that allowed me to securely attach to them. The uh, next two, which are uh, pretty common, are anxious or avoided. Now, the anxious attachment style or sometimes called insecure. That's someone who now has the expectation 
that people will hurt them or let them down. That if mm. they get close to someone, that they'll not get enough love in the way they need it. They're the kind of person who often feels like they do a lot for others and no one's really there for them. Mm. Um, and that person, as you can sort of hear already, if you had a parent who was not that consistently present for you or didn't show up emotionally for you, you have a lot of unmet need. Then as you move through the world, you're sort of anxious as like if I'm in a relationship with you and you disappear for a little bit, like you go to work for maybe uh, you travel for work a little bit. I start to worry that you're not going to come back. I start to worry I'm going to lose you. I'm going to start to worry that like this thing I need and love so much may not always be there for me. And that's, again, related to the idea that their initial attachment, their early caregiver was inconsistent and sometimes wasn't there when they needed them. Even if physically they were present, maybe emotionally they were checked out. That could be someone who's maybe has a drug or alcohol problem, maybe was all overworked or working too much, right? Yeah. So that leads to an insecurity within me that the love I need will not show up for me. So I had an, a former partner years and years ago who anytime I would go out of town and it could be anything from like spending the weekend in the city away from where we lived or like going home for the holidays, he would text me incessantly and, and ask me over and over to come back in a way that I never understood. And it, and it kind it, it made me crazy and it made me really uncomfortable in our relationship that I couldn't feel like I had the freedom to leave because he would panic and spiral and just be like, come on. Are you going to come home yet? Come home. Let's yeah. I mean, you can hear the anxiety, right? Every text is a way to quell the feeling that I'm mm -hmm. alone and that this sure. person doesn't care. And then I don't matter to them. And it, it felt very much like I was being guilted hmm. for doing, for choosing to leave right. town and right. leave him for, you know, however short of amount of time I was there. I felt guilted for doing something very, very reasonable. And it caused a lot of strain in the relationship. Of course, of course. And that's what happens to the anxious or insecure person is mm -hmm. what they fear happening to them eventually happens to them because of the burden this puts on the relationship. Uh, it's true. really sad and it becomes a pattern in their life. And they're like, listen, this always happens to me. I knew it was going to happen again. And until they are aware of their role that they play in this, it will continue to happen. That's what happens to all of us. Well, there you go. But the next one is avoidant. Mm -hmm. uh, so the avoidant person, they're the overly independent, I don't need anybody, uh, I can only sort of rely on myself type of person. Yeah. And you can already hear why someone might adopt that mentality or defensive position, really. Because if I don't rely on anybody, then I can never be let down. I can never be hurt. Um, I can, if I don't need anybody, then then there's no one there to abandon me. There's no one there to tell me uh, they can't be there for me. So I, I try not to trust anybody with my feelings. I never so, let someone in. In the immortal words of Simon and Garfunkel, I am a rock, I am an island. I am a rock, I am an island. Definitely. And, <laughs> uh, you know, similar to the anxious person, what they're afraid of is that when they need someone, no one will be there. But the anxious person and the avoidant person, they crave partnership like a lot of people do. But the anxious person will get it and then be afraid to lose it. The avoidant person will get it and then drift away on their own. They will actually create create the island. You know, they will, you know, they might have been like a little uh, peninsula at one point. <laughs> they will figure out how to get water in between you and the rest of that land so that they can start to protect themselves through that distance. And you can see how... As a kid, that distance might have been the only thing that protected you when you had someone that hurt you over and over again, that didn't show up for you, that told you they'd be there and they weren't. 
uh, yeah. or maybe abused you openly, right? So that distance becomes protective. And now to tell them, hey, I want to get close to you. You need to let me in. They're like, yeah, that sounds great in my head, but it's mm -hmm. full of threat. It's full of yeah, it's risky. freedom. Yeah. Oof. Okay. I can't think of an example of that person in my life. So I have nothing to apply there. I mean, you're talking to an example of that person in your life. Nods with the bait and switch. <laughs> okay, so you, you, I don't want to, what I say, would we say identify? Um, yeah, you're, I don't know. I'm not. You were avoidant? What, I, uh, I, I have an, I, the correct terminology might be, I have an avoidant attachment style. All right, so you have an avoidant personality type. Attachment style. That's what I know. Fuck. <laughs> an avoidant attachment style. I probably have an avoidant personality type also, but let's see. I'm, well, I'm, I'm hardly qualified to diagnose that. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. So what my challenge is, and really it's my challenge and my partner's challenge because they're dealing with me all the time, is I will get close to somebody and mm. show up, like really give it my all. And then right when you think, that I'm here to stay, I start to drift away because I start to feel enveloped and suffocated and like this person needs too much from me. And, and, and there's, I mean, we can go into how to fix that. It's a later date, but inevitably my partner has to be able to tolerate that. I, I am going to drift away. And even though I'm fighting the urge to drift away, cause I know I don't want to, I know the things in my head that are telling me, Hey, you know what? Maybe this is too much too soon. Maybe this isn't right for you. Um, that part of me uh, needs to be pushed back again. So we have the first three attachment styles. Talk to me about big number four. Number four is a combination of the second and third. It's uh, often called fearful, avoidant, or disorganized. Okay. It's someone who's both like craving, um, craving and anxious when they're away, but then once they get close to you, are pushing back. And so that person is sending the most mixed signals of all mixed signals on the planet. They really are never comfortable with the act of partnering with somebody because of how scary it feels, like really deep down scary. They're kind of the most likely of all the types to use substances to deal with the anxiety of partnership or needing people or wanting people. They're the most likely to have like friends that aren't really there for them because they can't. Mm -hmm actually form good friendships. So they let sort of anybody in and then those people don't really take care of them. And it's sort of this re-traumatization because of like having family and people who were there, but not there that didn't care for them, probably deep, ne deeply neglected them. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about how, like the way these people show up in relationships? Because it seems like it's a lot of push and pull. It seems like it's a lot of, a lot of both, both and neither. Yeah. So a lot of this comes from Mary Ainsworth's uh, original uh, research in which it's called the, the strange situation test. And they have uh, a child, like a, I think a toddler, in a room with a parent and the parent leaves. And what happens to that baby uh, is how they sort of define, you know, under stress really is what they define as these attachment patterns. So the disorganized person starts to cry, right? So they get anxious as soon as the parent leaves. But then when the parent comes in to soothe, they push the parent away. So there's this amazing picture of a crying baby and the mother's trying to hold it and it's like pushing her in the face basically because it doesn't trust that you can take care of me and then you'll be there for me. But it also feels alone and scared when it's alone. So it's this like really deep ping-ponging within itself of, you know, needing soothing but not trusting it and not wanting to be alone 
um, and sort of needing and crying for mom. This is really interesting because I think, unfortunately, I have found myself in a relationship like this right now. And it's with my dear cat, Juniper. <laughs> this rotten bitch, I am telling you, it is constant push and pull. I leave for a second or I have the audacity to go to sleep. And she starts whining and crying and she wants attention. And then when I try to give it to her, she just, she won't, she'll walk away from me. And I guess that that's just her attachment style. And it's a toxic relationship. And I'm really looking at that in my life. No surprise, you found her in a parking lot. This is true. Yeah. This is true. I mean, she's obviously undergone deep neglect. It's true. When she came to me, she had no fur on her nose. Right. So you can see the way neglect really impacts somebody. Um, fear of connection that it creates and also the fear of not having the needs met that it creates. And that person is never... Their, their nervous system is deeply impacted and never yeah. settled. Oh, that breaks my heart, though. And just that that it comes from such an uncontrollable influence. And it can impact you so severely for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we got, we, we, we understand the four attachment styles. Tell me a little bit about why this is a problem and why this shows up in people's lives. The main ways that attachment style show up partnerships is the pairings of people that mm. you feel really attracted to are often someone who's the, uh, who's actually not the person that you might actually need. The layman way of putting this is we all need someone who's secure because trying to attach to someone who's avoidant or anxious is going to be a lot of work. That being said, those people deserve love. Yes. And what's difficult is they can't like rewrite that blueprint on their mm. own. They actually need someone to work through that with them. And the best person to work through a problem with is a secure person. And so there's a lot or of Or a time. secure cat. Or a secure cat. If you can find one, apparently they're hard to find. <laughs> oh, goddamn. Not in my parking lot. <laughs> a common pairing is the, is the anxious avoidant pair. And the anxious person will automatically, it's like, again, their blueprint sets the tone for who they're finding, and they find someone who's not available and avoidant. And that keeps them feeling anxious, which is uh, kind of familiar. And the avoidant person finds someone who wants a lot from them and wants to soothe their anxiety. And so they're like, I got to protect myself. I'm backing out of here, right? And so you, you continue this pattern of pursuer distance, or it's often called. There's this beautiful line from Maggie Scarf. She says, uh, she runs, but never quite fast enough to catch. And he runs, but never quite fast enough to get away. God. It's inherently what we have now started to call a toxic relationship. Oh, talking and about you, Juniper. Hopefully we can get to a place where we take some responsibility for kind of choosing somebody who mm. is going to not have healed through this uh attachment wound yeah and is going to do to us what we uh are sort of wanting to never have happen again and we repeat that pattern so a, kind of a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that 100, way too 100 percent, yes Ooh. and maybe you you get the love you think you deserve mm, i love that line yeah. So, so why would you say, as a as a therapist who has who works with people to look at this within themselves, what is the benefit of knowing your own attachment style? 
Well, first and foremost, you uh, have to know if and when you are ready to be in a partnership. Am I going to drive someone insane because I keep getting close to them and then abandoning them because I'm avoidant, which I have yeah. done like a lot. Um, and I drove people insane. And so like knowing that about myself, doing my own work so I don't hurt people because what happens like, so mm-hmm. let's say you're in a relationship, someone who backs off. What, where do you immediately go? If you, if someone is all about you and then starts to like get cold on you, where does your head naturally go? What did I do wrong? Exactly. Yeah. I know for a fact that I have made people feel very insecure because I start to back away. And I'm like, oh, it has nothing to do with you. But if I happen to pick someone who's a little anxious, they're, of course, their anxious internal dialogue is there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And I just perpetuate their insecurity. And it's terrible to know that you're doing that to someone. So that's number one, why you want to do that. Because you don't want to continue the pattern of re-traumatizing an anxious person. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simplify that a little, a little bit more so. So once you know what your attachment style is, you have a more comprehensive understanding on how your behavior impacts other people. Yeah. Is and that, am, I, am I translating that appropriately? How your behavior impacts people, what you're going to probably do to somebody, and how you're going to treat them and act as you get close to them. Okay. Yeah. And the way it will ultimately impact the relationship long term. Yes. And, and also, well, you can be honest about what you need to work through with this person. I know this about me. And do you have the energy to work through mm-hmm. it with me? And my question was going to be, is that a conversation that you have had with people in your life, with partners? It's the conversation I'm having with this partner now. And it's how I know that this one's going to work because she understands that yeah. I am this person. She has her own attachment style and baggage and that I understand. And we work through it together. And there are times when hers come up and mine come up and we can have a conversation about what's being triggered here, knowing, just putting out into the world, like, hey, we're humans with triggers. They yeah. come from our histories. Let's work yeah. through it together as we work both towards being a more secure partnership. And I can definitely see that being beneficial for her, where if you start to pull back, if you start, if you're dare I say, on your bullshit, sets her up for success in that instead of her saying, what did I do wrong? It sets her up to say, as I know, as Naj communicated to me, he has this attachment style and that is likely this coming up. Yes. It's not me. It's definitely him. He's telling me it's him. It's not me. And I can Uh believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That, that, that informs the belief and the trust, which is so... I don't know if you know this, but trust in a relationship, actually really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that before. It's Really? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I came up with that. That's probably where I heard it. It was you. <laughs> Groundbreaking, right? <laughs> okay. I really like that. It, it just continues to open the dialogue and inform a deeper understanding of each person and their needs within mm-hmm. this framework, within this blueprint. So once you know what your style is, what are... How do you address that? What do you do then? We all need to find a path towards security. Mm-hmm. So for the anxious person, it's about managing the fear that comes up when you get close to someone and they go out of town, not texting a hundred times to manage your anxiety, figuring out how to do that within yourself, yeah. finding other secure people that you can process with, processing on your own, figuring out what to do with this. And again, like you're just saying, how to build trust that this person's not abandoning me. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a part of the healing process for this is that it's an ongoing conversation. 
to a point sure at some at some point we hope that the anxiety reduces to the point where it's no longer like maybe uh overwhelming you and a predominant feature of your um your relationship yeah that makes sense and that's just the healing journey both within yourself and with your partner right right and as they do the work and again they form a secure bond they sort of rewrite that blueprint and all of a sudden it becomes easier to love and be loved oh so i actually do i want to take this a little bit a little step deeper if you have no idea what your attachment style is and this is something that you are want to start taking actionable steps towards healing what are some effective ways that you can do that? And this is including if you, even if you don't have a partner, even if this isn't something you can do within a partner, how can you look at that within yourself and start that healing process within yourself? The challenge with attachment stuff is it doesn't get triggered outside the context of another person. Oh, that's tricky. That's slippery. I'm not an avoidant attachment person without a person to avoid. And so uh, you have to actually work through it probably with someone who understands what you're going through so you don't drive Mm -hmm. someone else nuts. That's where therapy for this stuff really becomes completely like the best way for most people because I know that my therapist, A, can tolerate me bouncing around or being anxious and my therapist isn't going anywhere. Um, You know, they have an office space. I can go to it. I know where they're going to be. They communicate with me in a way that I think is understanding that this is something that I'm bringing to the table. And as I build at least one, you have to just figure out how to get at least one secure relationship in your life. And once you do that, that starts the ball rolling. I love that. And and I mean, listen, like I am an advocate for all people to be in therapy. It doesn't matter what your attachment style is. It doesn't matter how well of a grasp on things you think you have. Therapy is a critical part of the healing process for us humans, for anyone with emotions, which is everyone. And that being said, I also recognize that therapy isn't always a readily accessible resource, unfortunately, in our modern world. If you are not in a space where you can pursue therapy, this just takes some deep and willing self-reflection. Be willing to look at your past dynamics and take a look at the patterns. And look at them objectively. Remove your bias, remove your ego. Be willing to look at the patterns and see if and how the patterns inform what your style is. Right. So it doesn't, you don't necessarily need to be with a therapist so long as you are willing to be thoughtful and honest with yourself and your patterns and your life and look into what that might say about your attachment style and start the process internally and set yourself up for success for the next partnership that might present itself. Here is my one sentence wisdom on attachment styles. Everyone has an attachment style. It is not your fault what happened to you. It is your responsibility to heal. How about you, Naj? It is worth it to do the work to get from an anxious or avoidant style towards the cure. It, it will be painful. It will be challenging. It will be uncomfortable, but it will be worth it. And you're speaking from experience? Speaking from experience. My guy. Excellent. Thank you for teaching us all, and me especially, and my cat especially, about attachment (laughs) styles. Thank you for coming. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you for listening to The Guy Divide, featuring Naj Ali Khan and Kelly Whitaker. 
For more information on our work, find us on Instagram at The Guy Divide. You can see more of Kelly on Instagram at Kelly underscore Convos and Naj at Naj underscore Ali Khan.